0: A Lent series. Okay, we started it last week, and it's preparing our hearts to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And so what I'm hoping is as we look at these famous last sayings of Jesus while they hung on the cross, remember last night, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, are um, preparing us in Lent to be able to just get a little better grasp of what Jesus did on the cross. Our hope and our desire is that as we finish this series, we will finish it on Palm Sunday. Holy Week begins. And on that Good Friday, we're praying and hoping we'll have a great um, uh, Good Friday service and take communion together. So it, we, we've got some things planned. Lord willing, so please stay with me, okay, church? And, um, but today, we get to part two, the second saying of Jesus while he's on the cross. And, and today, I want to get to this phrase of assurance. Um, it's a word that Jesus says to the thief. Y'all remember the story of the thief, right? When Jesus was crucified, there was a thief on his left and on his right. And it's, and it's, and it's a word that he says to one of those thieves uh, who's on the cross next beside him. And today we're going to look at this conversation between Jesus and that thief, that man. And I'm going to call this today, the word of assurance. Now, this is the most famous last-minute salvation in history. I mean, if if you ever want to Google some fascinating stories, just go on Google and hit last-minute savings. And, uh, of course, some coupons will come up and they'll save up things. But you will see that there's things like... the, the, the group of teenagers were about to drink poison and authorities kicked in and at the last minute they're saved. There was a, a story about a governor who last minute saved someone from execution. There's all kinds of different stories that you will find last minute. But friends, saved at the last minute is an extremely morning, important text this morning in scripture because it tells us that, that um, in this one passage, what you must know in order to be saved. Now, some of you are thinking, well, hey, I'm already saved. That's great. That's great. That you can have the assurance and know, because it tells us how can you be certain if you're saved, and that you don't have to uh, have any doubts anymore. Maybe this is not for you, but maybe it's for someone that you know. And, and it tells us in this text, real quick, church, I want you to pay attention to this message today as if your life depended on it. Because it does. Now, for some of you are thinking, man, I'm saved, sanctified, and petrified, and that's been me for years. Maybe, just maybe, I'm kidding about the petrified, okay? That was just a bad joke. Maybe this is for you to give to somebody else. Yeah? But listen to this as if your life depended on it. Because, friends, it really does. And I'm going to try to explain this as clearly as simply, as succinctly as I know possible, what does it mean to be saved? This is a great Sunday for you to be in church today. I'm glad you're here. What it means to know that you are certain, that certain that you're going to heaven when this world is all set in, or whenever you die. Now, as you listen, if, you, if your life depends on it, like I said, maybe it's not for yourself. You listen intently because you know, and I know you know others that need this material today. I know many people who have gone to church their entire lives and just still not sure whether when they die, they're going to go to heaven. I was pastoring a Nazarene church in California many, many years ago. And I can remember in my membership class, one of the things I would do is I would teach. This is the basic things of salvation. And I I taught all these things. And I can remember at the end, there was this uh, uh, lady. She was in her 70s, well in her 70s. And she says, you know, I was practically born in the church. I was a little, I, I never knew a time where I didn't go to church, but no one has ever explained to me in almost seven years what it means to be saved. Thank you, Pastor. So we might have this, or for some of you, it might be reviewed for some of you, this might be you're listening for the very first time. Online church, if you're with me, give me a thumbs up or an amen, praying hands or whatever, but stay connected if you would, okay? But really, you don't have to have doubts of your salvation. There's a lot of people I know who have doubts, and they'll say things like, well, am I really going to get to heaven when I die? Does God really love me? Is he going to let me into that perfect place in the sky? Friends, I want you to leave today without any misconceptions, okay? I don't want you to leave with any doubts. Like last week, I didn't want you to leave with any guilt. Today, I don't want you to leave with any doubts that you are saved. Now, the first thing that this story tells us, and I'll go, we're going to go and unpack this passage here. I'm going to read it to you in just a second. But the story tells us five things that we must know in order to be saved. Now, friends, let, let me just say this up front before I say, oh, five things you must know. There are a lot of things that I can teach you about Jesus. I just don't have the time in one sermon today. There are so many things that you must know. And so what I'm telling you today these are the five must know, okay? So today I'm not going to tell you everything about how to know God because there's so much to know about God, about life, about heaven, about salvation, all these things. But I'm going to tell you this is the bone minimum, these five things, okay? This is what you have to know in order to get into heaven. And here's the five things. You've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 3, let's go down to starting at verse 39, and we'll read to 43. We won't read to just these five verses. Here we go, 39. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Notice the sarcasm there, right? Verse 40. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Come on, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And now he turns, this criminal, the second one turns to Jesus, and look, look, look. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus replied, I love this. Here's the word of assurance, okay? I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And, Father, I pray that your word would penetrate deep like a double-edged sword. Speak to us at the core of our hearts today, Lord, that we would not just sense you, but we would know truth that, that convicts, that changes, that spurs us on to be the people of God that you want us to be. Thank you for your love letter that tells us so much truth. Bless it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I guess the question here, friends, is this, what is Jesus telling us in this passage? I mean, what what do we learn about salvation in these these five simple verses? Because obviously, if Jesus says, now, if Jesus says it, it's true, right? If Jesus says you're going to heaven, then you're going to heaven. And, And he told this thief, this guy, you're going to heaven, so, so let's just tear apart this passage a little bit at a time. Now, first first of all, let, let's look at the five things I must know in order to be saved. And this man is dying next to Jesus. He's hanging right next to him. He's being crucified as well. And he doesn't know much. Most likely, this guy probably never had been schooled, probably never had a single day of education in his life. He Most likely, he's a criminal, uh, a street criminal. He didn't know some things. But friends, there are some things he absolutely did know and are also backed up in the rest of Scripture. The first thing that this guy knew, and I want you to write this down, okay? Write this down because your life depends on it. The first thing you have to know is this. I must know I'll face God after I die. I must know that I'm going to face God after I die. Now, first, this is the first thing you've got to know. You've got to know that when you die, this world is all over, that you're going to go up straight into the presence of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. As my little buddy, Gabriel, my son, he's been learning Bible at the school he's going to, he says, it's the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. You'll be in the presence of God. And you're going to face God, you and me, after we die. And the thief knew this. The thief, when he's there, the first criminal joins in, and he's insulting Jesus. You kind of got that sarcasm, right? Save us too, I read it kind of thing. And Jesus, because the crowd was insulting Jesus, and the soldiers were insulting Jesus, the second one rebukes him. As a matter of fact, the uh, the Greek, the original language is epitameo. And that second criminal, he says this. I want you to look at Verse 40, let's go back to our text, okay? Verse 40, he says this. Don't you fear God even when you're dying? This was a rebuke. Don't you fear God even when you're dying? That's what he's saying here. In other words, don't you realize how serious our situation is? We're going to die. Man, you're about to meet your creator. You're about to meet God. You were seconds away from eternity. Each- Buddy, you may run from the police and the law. You may try to run from God, but there's going to come one day you can't run anymore. Do you not fear what we're going through right now? Fear God even when you're dying? I mean, that's this rebuke. That's what this second criminal is saying. Now, the reason why so many people think that they can honor God and live unholy lives is because they think death is the end. A lot of people think, well, I can just go on because after this, there's nothing else. They think death is just the end. They think when I die, it is over. That's it. There's no more problems. Can I tell you something, friends? Death is not the end. Death is actually the beginning. It's the beginning of eternity. And you're going to spare, spend far, far more time on that side of eternity than on this side. On this side, we're going to get, I mean, if you're lucky, a hundred years. Some of us think I don't know if I want to be here a hundred years, but yeah, right, right? But you're going to spend trillions upon trillions times infinity on the other side in one of two places, either with God. We're separated from God. With God in his place is called heaven. Away from God is called hell. You're going to spend eternity in one of two places. One day you're going to stand face to face, just like I am, before God, and you're going to have to give an account of everything you've done in your life. Remember we did that New Year, uh, that New Year's series? Just nod your head, will you? Just say, oh, yeah, I remember that path. Thank you, thank you. But we talked about everything belongs to God. Nothing is really ours. We are stewards. Remember that? We're going to have to give an account of how we did in being a steward. The Bible says this, says this over and over and over again. There's going to be a judgment day. There's going to be an account of, uh, some kind of accounting day of your life and my life. Look what it says in Hebrews. I love this verse in Hebrews 9.27. What it says in Hebrews 9.27. As a matter of fact, let's read it together. Can we do that? Read it out loud. Here we go. Everyone must die once. And after that, be judged by God. Friends, that is one appointment you won't be able to miss. That one appointment you won't be late for. That's one appointment you can't reschedule. You know, I've been working as a chaplain now for a couple of years. I'm working with the medical team, nurses, and doctors. Do you know one thing that I've discovered? It's this new statistics, though, that the mortality rate is now 100%. <laughs> That's a joke. I, it, it's been old as time, right? Everybody must die. Nobody's going to skip death. You can't just go around it. We're all... In, We're not all the same color. We're not all the same size. We're not all the same age. We're not all the same sex. And friends, we don't all have the same amount of money, but there is one thing that we do all have in common. Everybody in here, everybody listening online, everything we have in common is this. We're all going to die one day. And that's the one thing for sure. And it would be foolish. Think about it. You know that day is coming. Why don't you prepare for it? It would be foolish to spend your entire life unprepared for something that you know is inevitable. It's just foolish. In fact, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. I've shared that with y'all before. Y'all remember, just nod your head like you do. Thank you. Thank you. This guy on the cross, next to Jesus, knew this. Now, here's the second thing this guy knew, and we've got to know this as well. And I want you to write this down. This is very, very important. I must know that I've sinned against God. I must know that I've sinned against God. Let's go back to our text here, and let's go look at verse 41. Verse 41, the criminal says, We deserve to die for our evil deeds. Friends, did you know there's a word for what he's doing? The word is confession. He's admitting. That's what confession is. I have sinned. I have wronged. Uh, we deserve to die. We've done evil. I want you to look at this next verse in 1 John 1, nine. Look at this verse. Matter of fact, I want you to write, if you would, on the side margin... John 1.9, because it's not in your notes, but it's up here on the screen. I want you to John, write down John, 1 John 1.9, because look what it says. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, friends, this is a promise of God. And I've told you many times before with this, with every promise, there's a premise. Or in other words, with every promise that you see in Scripture, There's a condition. I was talking to some pastors this morning, and, and one of them said, you know, in, in the book of John, it says, abide in me, right, there's, the, there's a condition, and the promise is, and I will abide in you, right, and you could see that all throughout the Bible, every promise, there's something that in a, in a condition, now, this is the promise of God, if we confess, now, the word confess, in the, in the original language in the New Testament, friends, is this is this greek compound word it's called homologeo and and it takes the word homo which means same logeo which comes from the root word logos anybody ever heard of the word logos which means word or speech and they come together and they form homologeo and so homo means the same logo means the word and so Homologio, you speak the same, you confess the same. That's what confession is. Confess is, I, God, I agree, what that thing was, was wrong. Yes, God, uh, and, and so we, we get words, even in English, homo, homogenic, which is the same gene, right? Homogenized milk means from the same source, right, milk. To so homologium means to speak the same of God. Confess is to agree with God. Yes, God, you were right. That was wrong. It's a confession. And that's what this thief is doing on the cross. I admit it. I speak the same about it, God. I say the same thing. Yes, God, that gossip, that was wrong. That anger, you're right, God. That was wrong. The pride. I'm agreeing with you, Lord. That was wrong. That lie, that cheating, that unfaithfulness, that was wrong. That bad attitude, that self-centeredness, the greed, the arrogance, yes, Lord, that's wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, as we just read this passage. It does not tell us what this guy had done to be up on the cross next to Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you have liked to have read the... National inquire of Jesus' day to be, hey, this is what the dude did to get on the cross, right? But it doesn't tell us what he had done wrong. But you know what? One of the things I've discovered, friends, it doesn't really matter. Because in the book of James, in the New Testament, right around chapter 2, around verse 10, I believe, it says if you commit one sin, it's like you've committed them all. You're guilty of them all. And the Bible says if you committed one sin, then that makes you a sinner. Question, how many laws do you need to break to be a lawbreaker? Thank you. Just one. How many crimes do you need to commit in order to be a criminal? Just one. One. How how many times do you have to be unfaithful in order to be called an unfaithful person? Just one. And so how many sins do you need to commit in order to be a sinner? Just one. So friends, that puts all of us in the same boat this morning, doesn't it? And I'm sure, just by looking at y'all, y'all look dolled up, you look great. You have committed far less sins than I have. But we're all in the same boat, okay, before we start looking at each other a little weird. Break one law, you are a lawbreaker. Commit one crime, you are a criminal. Do one sin, you are a sinner. You got a chain link that's keeping up a bridge. You ever seen those bridges that go up by the chain to let the... The, the boats pass in the river and they come down. How many links on that chain need to break for that bridge to collapse? All of them? No. Just one link. For that bridge to fall. See, here, here's the problem. Here's, here's why I'm saying this. Heaven is a perfect place and only perfect people get to go there. You could not do enough good in your life to deserve the beauty of heaven. Yet God figured out a way to make you perfect, set apart, holy, sanctified in his eyes as he looks at you. He figured out a way to do that. Now think about it. If God let imperfect people get to heaven, heaven would not be perfect anymore. It wouldn't be heaven anymore, right? If, if he let imperfect people into heaven, it would be filled with jealousy and gossip and ego and pride and impatience. And heaven would just be like earth. And friends, that would be hell. And God came up with the plan to make us perfect, set apart, holy for him in his eyes, to make you perfect in the eyes of God. And that is called salvation. There's no way that anybody else on this planet will ever be able to deserve heaven. None of us deserve it but because it's a perfect place. And none of us are perfect. So as you see the thief right there, friends, the thief says uh, and, and you might circle that now, we deserve this. Why does he say that? He knows they've blown it. And this is consistent with all of the scripture. One mistake, You don't qualify. We deserve to die. But notice this next verse. This is what I put Romans in your verse. This is is beautiful. Romans 6, 23. There's a lot going on over there, huh? Hey, let's take a second to pray for that. And Lord, I just pray you'd use the men and women who are going to be heroes. May you guide them, uh, protect them, but also, Lord, allow them to save a life. It be your will. Amen. Look at Romans 6, 23 with me real quick. Very famous passage. You might already know this. It says this, the wages of sin is death. Okay, that's the bad news. (laughs) Let's face it, right? The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You might want to circle there, friends, the wages and circle the word gift. And kind of draw a line in between those because I hope you know by now that there is a difference between wages and gifts. Let, let me break it down this way. Let's say, for example, that uh, you are working and tomorrow you need to go to your boss and, uh, and, and you're working away and he comes up to your cubicle or your desk or whatever and he says, hey, I got something for you. Something special, something beautiful, oh, man, you are going to love it. And you are excited all day long. You're, okay, okay, I'll meet you after shift, or I'll meet you after a clock out or work. And so you go, and you're excited to meet your boss. And you go and sit down, and he says, all right, boss, I'm ready for that exciting thing that you got for me, and you're waiting. And all of a sudden, he hands you across the desk your paycheck. He hands you your paycheck and you open it up and you're like, my regular pay stuff? There's no bonus in here. There's, no, there's nothing else in here but the hours I've worked. And you say to your boss, boss, this, this, this isn't something special. These are my wages. I earned this. I deserve this because I put in the time and the hours. This is what I deserve. There's nothing special in this. And so, friends, a gift is something that's undeserved, it's valuable, it's precious. It comes from the heart. You didn't ask for it, but it's something you desperately need. It's just a gift. It's a gracious gift to you. Gifts are undeserved. And, friends, let me just quite frankly tell you this. You and I do not deserve heaven. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I will never be able to earn it, yet it is a free gift of God because of his love through Jesus Christ. So the first thing that the thief knows, friends, and and you and I know is that we're going to face God after we die. And then he says, don't you fear God? You're, you're, You're going to have to meet him in just a minute to the other thief, right? And know that you sinned against God. And he says, we deserve this for our evil deeds. Then, now let's compact this passage a little bit more. Let's go back to our text, okay? The the third thing this guy knew, and, and the third thing that you and I have to know in order to be saved is this. I must know that Jesus was more than a man. I've got to know that. Talked just a few weeks ago, remember the blending of flesh and spirit? The notice. The third thing the thief says. He says he's in, most likely this thief. I mean, you, you've read commentaries and theologians have written over the years. There, you know, there's a lot of guessing in here. This guy must have been uneducated, kind of like a street thief, and all of these things. But he knows the important stuff, and the important things he knows are backed up in scripture. And what does he know? Let's go back to verse 41. Look what he says right here. We deserve to die. But this man has done, not done anything wrong. This man has done anything wrong. I want you to circle there in your outline, if you would, the word anything. He said, you know, this man, he's talking about Jesus, has not done anything wrong. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever said that about you? And my kids need money or need something. Yeah, you are a great dad. But yeah, let's face it, no one's ever said that about you, and no one's ever said that about me. Let's face it, you can't say that, that we've never done anything as human beings because human beings, as humans, we are frail, and we make mistakes, we have failings, and we sin. So when this guy says he's never done anything wrong, one of the... Not one thing in his life wrong. He's saying this guy is not a mere man. He's not human. This guy that we're about to be crucified next to, this Jesus guy, he's not mere human. He's God. He's more than human. He's more than a man. I want you to look what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in his second letter. Look look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God had Christ who was sinless. And by the way, pause real quick. This is the only person that ever existed in the history of time that was sinless. He's talking about Jesus Christ. God had Christ who was sinless. Look, take our sins so that we might receive God's approval through him this is called the great exchange, isn't it? That, that's what you call salvation. Because somebody's got to pay for the wrongdoing. Either you, you pay for it, or somebody else pays for it. I mean, that's one of the reasons we get this beautiful verse in, in, in the Gospel of John. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God loves you, friends, and he says, I'm going to pay for all of the things on the cross. I'm going to pay for all of the things. That is how much he loves you. He extends his hands on the cross and he dies. He says, I love you this much. The Bible also says, friends, that all have fallen short. All of us have fallen short. The chasm from this cliff to this cliff, whew. Is just too, you can't jump to the other side. The cabinet is way too deep. You're not going to get to heaven on your own. Yes, you and I need a savior. And this thief, he knew that. I mean, he, he, this guy's thinking, you know, I know I'm going to die, uh, And after that, and I know I've sinned against God, and I know that Jesus is more than a man. And then we get to the fourth thing that we unpack in this passage of Scripture. The fourth thing that this guy knew that you and I need to know is this. Write this down. I must know only God's grace can save me. I must know that only the grace of God can save me. So after the thief says that we deserve to die and this Jesus has never sinned, he's more than a man. Look at verse 42. Jump down to verse 42. Look what it says. Then he said, the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. In the original language, that's manomeo ego. Jesus, remember me. Maomeo ego. Jesus, remember me. That's all he says. Now, I guess the question is, well, what is implied in this Greek phrase, maomeo ego? What is implied when this guy looks at Jesus and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's sweating bullets right on the cross, right next to him, and he's dying. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom in heaven. Friends, one thing that we know that the thief knows is that dude can't save himself. He can't get off that cross and he can't go and do a bunch of charity work, community service or whatever. He can't try to atone for his own sins. He can't. He can't make up for all the bad things he's done and all the things that he's done wrong. There's no way that he can repay all the people he've hurt or God that he's insulted or anything else. He's hanging on the cross. He's in his final moments, and he knows that he can't save himself, and he knows he's made a mess of his life. He's wasted it, and this guy wasted his life. He's got nothing, nada, zero, zilch, zip to offer God. On the cross, he doesn't even try to make excuses. So while he's hanging on the cross next to Jesus, in those final, final moments of his life, he throws himself on the grace of God and the mercy of God. Anomeo ego. Remember me. Remember me. Really? Really? Is that all this guy's going to say? Remember me. Now think about this. Just think with this. That's it. That's got to be the shortest salvation prayer in history. Right? Two words. Remember me. Manomeo ego. Now friends, I want you to listen very, very closely to what I'm about to say. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but I love you. You know that I have committed to always tell you the truth. But I, I want you to hear this. There are some people out in this world, there's some well meaning Christians. They're Christians, they love the, the Lord, they're believers, they love God. Well meaning Christians who think that you have to use certain words in order to be saved. And that you have to say these certain words in your prayers to be saved. And if you don't use certain words in your prayer, yeah, you're really not saved. That prayer didn't count. That really didn't matter. But friends, I-, I want us to look at this passage. These guys are next to the Messiah, Jesus, the Chosen One. not some rabbi, not some Pharisee, not some Sadducee, Jesus. And this guy does not use any theological words. You're not going to find in his prayer the word justification. But that's a real great theological term, isn't it? He doesn't use the word redemption. He doesn't use the word atonement. He doesn't use the word appropriation. He doesn't say, I repent. He does. It's, it's not in there. You will not see that in this guy's prayer. It's not there. He doesn't say, I trust. He doesn't say, I receive into my life. He just says, manomeo ego, remember me. Remember me, Jesus. And our Lord, our Savior looks at him. While he's on the cross. You got it. That's enough. By the end of the day, you will be with me in paradise. Hello? That right there, out of, you know, of all cases proves it's not about words. I've been a pastor for 25 years, friends, and I've had some people over the years criticize me, write me emails, long emails, and write me long texts, phone calls for hours. Because what I prayed at the end of one of my sermons didn't have the favorite word. I've had well-meaning believers over the years and preachers criticize me because I didn't have a soul, quote-unquote altar call. Show me where it says that in the Bible. You will not find an altar call. You don't have to come. Friends, I have made some big commitments there. Over the years at camps, I have made some profound commitments at altar calls. So I'm not bashing the altars, okay? That's what I'm saying. But to say you have to have one or else it's not a real prayer of salvation, that's ridiculous. It's not in the Word of God. You're not going to find it in here. I've known people... Uh, who, who believe in the Lord and, and, and are well-meaning Christians, but they say, you're not saved until you're baptized. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but when I've read this Bible over and over and over again, what I call the triple B, they believe, then they realize they belong to God, and they get baptized. It's that simple. Believe you belong to the church and then you get baptized. The, 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 let's face it, this guy hanging on the cross, he's no theologian, right? And, and, and the sinner's prayer here may have not satisfied the theologian of Jesus' time. I don't know, may I go? A little deep theological turns, right? But I just want to say, if it satisfied Jesus, that's good enough for me. That's good enough. So he only has two words, remember me, remember me. That is all he says. So here's the point that I'm trying to make this morning. Okay, friends, listen to me, please. It's not the words that you say that matter as much as the direction of your heart. Hear that from me today. It's the direction of your heart that matters. If you have a humble heart and your direction is toward loving God, it counts. It counts. Years ago, there was a translator, the Wycliffe Bible Translators. There was a missionary that was sent to Chiapas, Mexico area, into the indigenous jungles and all of those things. And this uh, missionary there who his goal was to go in and learn this dialect of Spanish little, all kinds of different things and he wanted to go in and learn so he can translate from the original language, the Greek the, new, the gospel of Mark to this indigenous language. And this missionary spent eight years there. And in the eight years that he spent there not one conversion He was getting ready to come back and spend time in the United States. He was uh, about to go on furlough and come back and may possibly be sent somewhere else. But right before he left, he got a phone call that in the middle of this village, like the little medical hut or something like that, there was a guy by the name of Jose who was ill. And he thought, let me go do my last pastoral duty before I leave. So he goes and he goes and tries to meet with this guy named Jose. And he sees that he's very sick. He's in and out of a coma, they're telling him. And, and he, he he's hearing things, but he, sometimes he's babbling on and all of these things. And so this missionary comes up to Jose, holds his hand like a good chaplain, right? You know, puts his hand on him and he says, Jose, do you know that God is your creator? And then Jose, in his faded language, kind of sitting there on the bed goes, see... And the missionary says, Jose, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that Jesus, the son of God, and God sent him to tell you that he loves you? See, you know. Jose, do you know? Did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, die for your sins on the cross, for everything you've ever done? Do you believe he did that for you? See, eyes closed. And then last question. Would you like to put your faith and trust in Jesus today? Would you like to open your life to Christ and trust him for the forgiveness of your sins? And see, and passed out and went back into a coma. Well, the missionary, next day packed up his stuff and left for the United States. No conversions. He had an opportunity 10 years later to go back to the area of Chiapas where he was a missionary to tried to translate the Bible. And he decided, man, I'm going to go see if there's, uh, uh, how they are and want to talk to the people that he had become friends with And he goes back and he sees that there is a church of 65. And he begins to talk to someone. He goes, wait, what happened? What missionaries came or what people came to bring you the gospel? And what group was it? He's so excited. There's a church, 65 people. I'd love to have 65 people. But anyway, he's so excited, 65 people in the church, you know. And and, and then the people responding goes, no missionaries came. Nobody came. But do you remember Jose? Jose got better. And he got a Bible. He gave his life to Jesus and led us. And the 65 people that you see that are in this church, they gave their life to Jesus because of Jose. Let me ask you, church. How much do you have to know about the Bible or God, or theology in order for you to get to heaven? See, yes. See, you've got to be able to say yes to God and no to yourself. No, I'm not trusting me to get into heaven. Yes, I am trusting what Jesus did on the cross for me. Because think of it, friends, if there would have been an easier, quicker, less painful, less bloody way for you to get to heaven than for somebody to pay for your sins, don't you think that God would have done that? Use that other method? Friends, there, there are Christians, like I said, well-meaning Christians that, that we love, that you know, that we care about deeply, brothers and sisters in the Lord and in Christ, and they believe Like I said, you got to be baptized to be saved, but it's not in the Bible. There's no good work that you can do to get you into heaven. It's just simply saying, see, yes, I receive your grace. I read this quote, and I wanted to read it to you guys today. Salvation is not what you do for God is what God does for you. When Jesus dies on, on the cross, I told you this when we be, were singing earlier, when, we're on the, on, uh, when he was on the cross, and he says, it is finished. He, he didn't say, I am finished. Because Jesus is not finished, friends. Jesus in his spirit, the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he's moving. He's moving. He said, it is finished. That thing to pay for the sins of everybody in order to get to heaven, it's done. That is finished. Friends, you you ought to be baptized. If, If you had, you know, what would have been like 25 years ago if I would have talked to my wife, Erica, and I would have said, honey, I want to marry you, but don't tell anyone. What kind of commitment would that be? Well, you know you know the feisty Erica that I'm married to, right? <laughs> that wouldn't fly. Let's just face that, right? Yet today, somehow, it's infiltrating the culture of churches today where people say, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I don't want to get baptized. they it's simply being ashamed of God. I pastor a church years ago, and it's not the one you're thinking. I, I, I pastored a church where I, I gave a beautiful message on baptism. We had like 12 people wanted to be baptized, and we baptized them a couple Sundays later. But there was one lady came up to me after church, and she says, Pastor, I'm not going to bap- get baptized because I don't want to mess up my hair. Try to explain that one at Judgment Day, huh? I, don't, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I don't want to get baptized. Then you're ashamed of, of, of Christ. You know, I've used this illustration many times that, that baptism is like the wedding ring of the Christian life. This wedding ring doesn't make me married. It just shows who those are looking around. This is a symbol. I've made a commitment in my heart, right? So it doesn't, I'm unmarried, married, unmarried, married, unmarried. It doesn't work like that, right? Because it's not the ring. It's This ring is just a symbol of a commitment that I've made in my heart. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It just shows that you are one. It's the outward sign to everybody else that says, look, I've made a commitment in my heart to be a follower of Jesus. So what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, look, Ephesians 2, I love love this passage, for it is by grace, and I'll circle that, but it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I mean, think about it, if you could earn your way into heaven, can you imagine the eagle trips that there would be in heaven? I, gave, I got to heaven because, you know, I gave a million dollars to help a, that mortgage at New Vision Community Church. <laughs> That's how I got here. Oh, well, it's half a million, so yeah, it would be enough. But imagine if we got in there by what we did. It would be one bragamony after bragamony in heaven, wouldn't it? No one be able to brag in heaven because, friends, we all got there the same way. The free gift, see. Did you say see yet? Have you? I said see when I was about 18 years old. I said see. Jesus. Now, there's one more thing, friends. Let me bust through this. I know you're hungry. There's one more thing that the thief knew that when he got to know in order to get to heaven, and this is, write this down. I must know that Jesus will save me if I ask. Now, obviously, the thief wouldn't have asked Jesus if he didn't know that Jesus would answer him. I must know that Jesus will save me if I ask. Let's go back to our text, okay? Real quick, let's look at verse 42. Verse 42 says, Remember me, an Omeo Ego, right? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, why? Because he's recognized his deeper need is not the pain that he's suffering on the cross. The deeper need is the salvation from sin in his heart. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be what? Saved. About 10 years ago, I was pastoring this church. And there was a guy named Mark who was going to have uh, some medical procedure. Had an artery kind of thing. And I got notified on Saturday night. His wife called me and said, Pastor, uh, Mark is going in tomorrow morning. Surgery's at 7. Now, I usually it's, it's very difficult for me to go on Sunday mornings because I like to go over my notes. I like to pray. I, I've got a routine, you know. Lately, part of my routine is practicing with the worship team. So I got that on my plate as well these days. But at that time, I, I, I wanted to go over a message. I wanted to pray. I wanted to get the thoughts of this, the, the whole message down. But something just compelled me in my spirit. You need to go visit Mark. You need to go visit Mark. So I got up a couple extra hours early, and I was at the hospital by 6 o'clock in the morning. And then the team was getting ready to go in and and take him and wheel him down and get him for pre-op and all of those things. And I remember telling the the nurses, hey, would it be okay if I prayed with Mark? I'm his pastor. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So I go in, and Mark is kind of like Jose in this story. Uh, he's all, dry, dry, uh, uh, you know, bit but bit, um, They said he 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 can he can move his eyes and he can he can squeeze your hand and his wife was there and said he 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 can move his hands and 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 squeeze your hand if you want. So I grabbed Mark's hand. And I said, Mark, there's a lot of people praying for you. The church is praying for you. And he squeezed it a little bit. I said, Mark, before you go in. I don't know what the outcome will be, but I know God loves you and he's here. Squeezed it again. Mark, you know that Jesus died on the cross because he loves you to take away your sin. And then he squeezed and he trembled. Tears started coming down his cheek. And Mark, you know that you know that he loves you And if things turn not the way that we were hoping, you know where you're going, right? And he squeezed really, really hard. Mark died on the table of surgery. I did his funeral a couple weeks after that. And I stood at that little church, and I shared the exact story I shared with you all. On his deathbed. He didn't say a whole lot. He didn't even get to say see. But his heart. And the tears confirmed. His heart was toward, Turned toward God. When can I be saved? I want you to look at these verses. Okay friends. In these closing verses. I wanted to spend time singing together. But I'm looking at the clock here. And. I don't want you guys to text me how hungry you are, okay? So let let me just finish up with this, and I'll pray and I'll dismiss you. But let's look at a couple of verses before we go. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this. This is the hour to receive God's favor. Today is the day to be saved. Not next week, not next year, not at the end of your life, not when you can think about it some more. Today, it says, is the day to be saved. Now, remember, there are two thieves, Next to Jesus, right? One on each side. And they have two completely different responses. One of the thieves insulted Jesus. And the other one accepted Jesus. Friends, God gives you today, this 26th day of February in 2023, the exact same choice. You could insult Jesus by leaving here and saying, you know, I don't want and need the cross I don't need his death for me. I'm a good person. I do a lot of good stuff. I, I'm going to get to heaven on my own. I'm not going to get to heaven uh, 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 by somebody else. I'm going to get there by my own merit. You could insult the cross that way if you want. You could leave here saying, you know what Jesus did on the cross? It's no big deal. Really unnecessary because I'm a good person. I know the scripture, it says right there, today is the day of salvation, but man, I'm going to wait a bit. I'm not going to decide right now. Let me say this very closely, clearly, friends. Not to decide is deciding, not to decide is a decision. It's saying, I'm rejecting, I, I'm writing for whatever, all of this that has been laid out in front of you, these five things, is rejecting it. But it says, today is the day of salvation. Not to decide, you're making a decision. And look at this last verse right there in your notes Romans 10 13, up here on the screen as well. When can I be saved? Look what it says Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does God lie? No. Does God break his promise? No. This is the guarantee, friends. So have you settled this issue today? And I'm wondering, maybe you've never done this before, but this is your day. The day is the day of salvation. So let's settle this together. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to close in the moment. I want you to ask you to settle this issue maybe you can acknowledge the same five things that the dying thief on the cross did. Now, friends, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you're watching online right now. I'm convinced that God had you watch this today so you could hear how much He loves you and He wants you to be part of the family. God wants you in heaven for eternity. So it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, It doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done it with or how long you've been doing it. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of salvation. You could just, right where you're seated, you could just simply say, remember me. Or you could say, like Jose, see. Because it's all about your attitude. And if you will let me this morning, maybe I can just add a few words. Talk through these things that we must know. And as I say these things, maybe in your heart you say, me too, God, me too. Or you can just pray them after me. Just say this in your mind. Here's the prayer. Maybe you would just want to say, dear God, I know that when I die, God, that I'm going to have to give an account of my life to you directly. My truth is, God, I've lived by my plan for my life for a long time. But starting today, starting right now, I want to turn away from my sins and turn towards you, Lord. And God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for all the things that I've ever done wrong. I know that I don't deserve your forgiveness, Lord. And I know that it's only your grace that could save me. And God, I know that I could never be good enough to get into a perfect place. So thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you took all of the guilt and everything I've ever done wrong onto yourself. And now you've made me acceptable in the eyes of God and acceptable for heaven. And Lord, just like the thief on the cross, I'm saying to you, remember me. Just like that middle-aged man in Mexico, I'm saying, see, yes. Save me, not just from the eternal separation from you, Lord, but, but save me, Father, from the sins and the habits and the, the ways I have messed up my life right now. I believe in you, Jesus. Help me to never doubt your grace ever again. Friends, with your heads bowed, no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, flip up your hand, put it down. No one's looking, just just this testimony before the Lord. With your heads bowed, and those of you online, maybe you might want to just then right there on that messenger and Facebook, just simply say see or yes. I know how to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for your grace that is so great that it covers everything we've ever done wrong. God, help us not to be saved by grace and then try to live by work. But Father, will you help us to live by grace every single day of our lives? Thank you for your unconditional love. And thank you, Jesus, for doing what we could not do for ourselves. We all thank you for this time together and and how we are able to praise you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, now as we leave this place, allow us to take the good news that we have just heard And share it with someone who needs to know this truth. Bring us back, Lord, next week. Excited to hear the next part of your love letter. The word of love that you gave us on the cross. Go with us, Lord. And everybody said, amen, amen. Go with the Lord, friends. We'll see you next Sunday. We're going to be in part three. We're going to look at the word of love. Where is your son? Remember that Jesus says that on the cross? Where is your son? We'll unpack that passage, okay? Lord bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.